Thank you, young people. Beautiful. Thank you so much. God is awesome, isn't he? And uh, in Bible school this week, we had uh, 289 students. That's the children. We had 88 workers. How about that? And, uh, and then we had 23 who called on the Lord Jesus to be their Savior. And uh, yeah, amen. Now, many raised their hand for spiritual needs and requesting prayer and things like that, but these 23 responded and spoke to a counselor, a personal counselor themselves, so we could be sure they understood what was going on. And so uh, we praise the Lord for that. Thank you for your prayers, all of you who prayed. And, and for those 88 workers, or maybe there was more, uh, we want you to stand. If you had anything to do serving in Bible school, stand up. Would you do that, please, for me? Yeah, let's say thank you to these. Yeah, amen. Amen. They look a little more worn out this Sunday than they did last Sunday. And they've got a reason to look that way. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Genesis. And chapter 37. Genesis 37. Well, I lost a note I had, but I think I can remember exactly what it said. Uh, Pat and Wilbur Boykin celebrated this past Tuesday their 64th, 64, is that right? 64th wedding anniversary. Would y'all stand back there? Stand for just a second. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. You don't even look 64 years old. They got married when they were two. Congratulations to you both. God bless you. Well, this week we, in our Bible school, we, we studied and taught about the life of Joseph. So I've been studying the life of Joseph for the last few weeks again, getting ready for the Bible school. And so... Since I was enjoying it so much, I thought I would preach a series on Joseph to you on Sunday morning. It's been eight years since I did that, and uh, so uh, I think it'll be fresh again. Joseph takes up such a large portion of Scripture. It takes up one-fourth of the book of Genesis. Think about that. You've got creation... You've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got the table of the nations and the spread of the nations. You've got Noah and his ark. You've got all kinds of important things in the book of Genesis, but the one subject that has the most chapters dedicated to it is Joseph. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? The truth is, if you take any two subjects in the whole book of Genesis, more chapters are dedicated to Joseph than any two of those other subjects. Think about all the stuff God could have said about creation. But uh, he said just enough for us to understand that he spoke the worlds into existence. But he took one-fourth of the book, 25%, to talk about Joseph. That means it's of great importance. God sees in this 
great importance for us. It's an illustration of that great truth in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. Joseph is an Old Testament illustration of that, really the best illustration we have in Scripture of that great truth. In the story of Joseph, we see God's overriding providence, His sovereignty, His ruling upon the earth. And we also see that God's people will endure suffering on this earth until we get to heaven. All of these are great themes. And uh, you see, I entitled this Molded by the Hand of God. And He's molding you too. Did you know that? He's molding me and you. And we've got a story too. Our story won't be exactly like Joseph's, but we all have a story of ups and downs and failures and victories and sin and forgiveness and God's blessing. We all have a story. Well, with that said, let's read the first couple of verses anyway. We'll come back to those. But look at verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger or a sojourner. That's where Abraham came to that new land, to the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock of his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Billa and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, the report itself wasn't evil. He, he brought a report to his father of the evil his brothers were doing. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together today in your word. Make it profitable for us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. William Farrow, named Billy, called Billy, was an American hero in World War II. He was a pilot, and he flew on the famous uh, uh, flight over uh, Japan, the Doolittle flight. There were 60 planes... 16 planes, I'm sorry. There are 80 men, 16 planes, and they flew from the U.S. Hornet and dropped their bombs. And many people say that was the turning point of the war. And their planes ran out of gas, and they had to go down. Some of them didn't make it into friendly territory and were taken prisoner. Eight of them out of, the, out of those men were taken prisoner. And three of them was executed. This Billy that I'm referring to, he was one of the ones that was executed because the Japanese said that he had committed war crimes. They had a mock trial and so forth, and so he was put to death, and he received honors, and of course, and medals, and um, he was an American hero. Here's a picture of him. One of our church members is actually related to uh, Lieutenant Billy Farrow, uh, Bernard May. Bernard, are you here? 
I don't know whether they, they may be out of town. There's Bernard right over there. Billy was, is a distant cousin of Bernard. Before he died, they let him write a letter to his mother. Now, the letter was longer than what I'm going to show you, but I want to show you at least a piece of this letter. It read in part like this. Don't let this get you down. Now, let me preface this by saying he knew at this point he was going to be executed. I think the next day when he wrote this letter and he explained to his parents that he would be executed. Don't let this get you down. Wow, that's a good way to start, isn't it? The execution of your son. Don't, don't let this get you down. A lot of things in life get us down. Just remember, God will make everything right. And that we'll see, uh, I'll see you all again in the hereafter, in heaven. If you want to know how I'm taking this, my faith in God is complete. So I am unafraid. End of quote. Wow. I think this idea of my faith is complete is that he's completely trusting the Lord. So his faith is complete. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could face the challenges of life, the disappointments, the disasters of life in the same way that Billy faced the, uh, uh, the great trial that was before him. Courage. Courage to face the future. Billy, they referred to Billy as a young man with an exemplary life. And he was a leader of the youth activities at the First Baptist Church there in South Carolina where he grew up. Don't you want to have strong faith to face the difficulties of life? We're all going to suffer. We're all going to have difficulties. We can let those difficulties get us down and destroy our joy and peace and happiness in life, or we can face them with the courage of the Lord. That's what Joseph did. And that's what Billy did. Well, we all suffer... Even the godly people, the most godly people, suffer. Joseph was one of the most godliest people in the Bible. You know, I'm glad God does this, but most all the time, God points out the failures and even the sins of Bible characters. Now, that's encouraging to us because we all fail, don't we? <laughs> and we all sin. So it's encouraging to see that the characters in the Bible were not perfect. But Joseph is an exception. Nothing negative is said about Joseph. Nothing's told about him that, was, that he did wrong or immoral. And so in a sense, he's an Old Testament picture of Christ himself. Think about it. Hated by his brethren. Accused of things he did not do. Hated. And they th thought he was dead, but of course he wasn't dead. But the Lord Jesus was dead and came back to life. 
There are many parallels. J. Vernon McGee lists 30 of those parallels. I may read them to you at a different time. Uh, so there are parallels between, even between Christ and Joseph. Um, and so a great importance is placed on these chapters of Scripture. So it's important that we pay close attention to them. God wants to teach us things about suffering and trials and testing and about sin. Now let's go back to our second verse there. Verse 1 simply tells us where they are in Cana, Canaan of, uh, in the Holy Land. Verse 2 tells us, though, that Joseph was 17, and he went out feeding the flock. Maybe this was his first time. He's a young man. He goes out feeding, taking care of the flock, and there was a lot of things to learn. Think about it. You, you, have, to, you have to know how to uh, breed the sheep. You have to know how to take care of them. You have to know how to uh, doctor them when they are sick or when they're hurt. Uh, you have to know how to lead them from one place where there's grass when the grass is eaten up to another place where there is grass and on and on. And so he was, I, I see him in this position kind of like an apprentice. And uh, it's finally time. He goes out with his four brothers. They are the sons of uh, uh, Billa, you see there, in Zippah. And they had... Uh, there was four of them, so he, I assume he went out with the four, all four of them, and maybe some others as well, but those were the ones that were going to this particular place where Joseph was sent with them. Now, the glaring thing that strikes me and you, of course, is that uh, Jacob had two wives. Really, he had four wives. He had, he had uh, Rachel and Leah. And then he had children by Rachel and Leah's servants, often in the Bible called concubines. And these were children by these two ladies who were servants. Now, the Bible does not teach polygamy. It does not promote it or condone it. But it records facts. And sometimes God's people got off the off God's path and they began to live like the world around them, the sinful world around them. And that's the case here. God never condoned these things, but they were things that happened. This is all failure on Jacob's part. And so he goes out with these and he comes back with an evil report concerning them. Now we're not told what the evil report was. A lot of speculation been made. I think I'll speculate a little myself. It could have been that his sons were doing something unethical. Maybe they were putting some money to the side. They were extorting, you know, uh, some money from their father and from the family business. So maybe it was financial or had something to do with, with uh, honesty and so forth. Or maybe it had something to do with immorality. We do know, and I'm going to say more about that maybe in a minute, that his brothers were immoral. They really were. Maybe they got off into a far town and got mixed up in prostitution and things like that. And they tried to talk 
Joseph into committing whatever things were going on. They tried to talk Joseph into going along with it, and Joseph refused to go along with it. And not only that, when they got back, he told the evil things they did to his father. Now, you know the brothers were not pleased with Joseph telling this. Um, maybe his father asked him. Or maybe these deeds were so wicked that he felt his father must know. Now, some commentators seem to fault Joseph with this. Like Joseph should not have told. And the fact that he told is the reason his brothers hated him. And I'm sure that added to the reason why the brothers hated him. But I don't see this in most evangelical biblical scholars do not see this as a failure on Joseph's part but quite the contrary they see it as a as a um, picture of his character of his integrity I'm sure his brothers called him tattletale and mama's boy and and uh, sissy and whatever other words they could think of to try to make fun of him and call him names because he refused to participate in their sin, whatever it was, but on the other hand, he told what they were doing. And so they hated him, his brothers. But Israel loved him. Look at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He was 91 when Joseph was born. <laughs> That's that's pretty old, isn't it? And so he's 108 at this point in time because Joseph is 17. So he loved him because he was born in his old age. And maybe now, instead of being out in the field working all the time, uh, Jacob is more stay-at-home and he can spend time with this younger child and really children Benjamin is alive at this point too he's probably about 10 years old or 7 years old 7 to 10 scholars uh, put him in that age range and so he could spend time with his son and, uh, and he loved him he was special to him i tell you another reason I think he was special to him because Joseph loved the God that Jacob now had come to love. You remember Jacob's name means trickster, deceiver, the word Jacob. But God met with him and changed his name, remember? Made it Israel, a prince of, of the Lord. And uh, so Joseph loved the same God, the God of the Bible, like his father Jacob. It's obvious at this point in their lives, the other ten sons, the ten older sons, do not love God. The fact is, they're overcome with sin and rebellion and hatred and jealousy. And so, he loved him in that special way. I see Joseph as like Adam and Eve communed with God in the cool of the day. They just communed with God all day long. Then you had Abraham come along who was called the friend of God. He wanted to know God personally and be in a, that kind of intimate relationship. And along the way, Joseph was one of those 
whom the Lord was near to, and he was near to the Lord and knew the Lord's presence and uh, communed with the Lord. And so he was Jacob's favorite. And when verse 4, or the last part of verse 3, he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So his father makes him this special coat, or has it made. And and some people believe that this meant that Joseph would, would be in the place of the elder, uh, Reuben, of course, is biologically the oldest, but Reuben had committed a hideous sin against his father. And so some believe that this coat meant that he would take the pl- first place among the twelve brethren. And that's possible. It could have just been a token of his love and appreciation for Joseph. But the brothers hated him even more. They hated him because he was a goody-goody, as they would see it, a goody-two-shoes and a mama's boy, and they wouldn't wouldn't go out and do the sinful, wicked things they went out to do and wanted to teach him as their older brothers. By the way, these brothers are much older, much older. And uh, they're old enough, some of them are old enough out of that ten to be Joseph's father. So they wanted him to follow in their footsteps, and he refused. Then that last phrase said they could not speak peaceably to him. These ten, now there's twelve of them all together, but Benjamin, remember, is young, younger than Joseph, and he's only about ten at this time, or seven. And uh, so they couldn't, the ten older ones couldn't speak one word peaceably. Think about that. Think about living in that situation. Not one word. So even in the morning, if you say good morning to someone, you do it with a hatred behind your voice. Whatever you have to tell him to do, go do this to the sheep or go do that to the sheep, it was said with hatred and malice and envy. And so they treated him with disdain. And then look at verse... Six, and he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Now Joseph's going to tell his dreams. We'll just read over those quickly in a second. But some, some commentaries, again, say Joseph should not have told his dreams, that he was doing it in a braggish kind of way. But you, you really don't see that in the Scripture itself. Um, He tells his dreams just like you might tell your family members a dream you had uh, or something that's going on in your life and you share that with your family members. So he shares these two dreams that seem to have some kind of special meaning. And of course we know from the rest of the story they certainly did. So verse 7 he says, "For, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf or my bundle of wheat arose. And also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and did obeisance to my sheaf. The word obeisance there means to do homage, to honor. It can even be translated to worship. But the idea is to honor. And uh, 
And his brother said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more. So these dreams did not go over well. They hated him all the more for his dreams and for his words. And he told them the second dream. He dreamed another dream. And behold, he said, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and my brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the same. Now his father rebuked him, but his father didn't dismiss those dreams. He thought about them. And uh, his brothers just hated him more and envied him more. We know, of course, those dreams come true uh, in the next uh, 20 uh, two uh, years and uh, of course that's the uh, rest of the story as the saying is so uh, he was mistreated now I don't think it, you can picture this many ways but I don't think he gathered all of his brothers together stood up on a soapbox and made a speech about those dreams I think he just maybe said to one of them you you won't believe what I dreamed. I dreamed this, that, and the other. And the man hollered for his brother, Come over here and listen to what Joseph said he dreamed. And they got together. And it was more in a casual, unofficial way that he shared these dreams. And so, we have these brothers. Now, I want to tell you, because we're not going to go past this today, but I want to tell you a little bit about these brothers. They were wicked and violent towards Joseph, of course. We know from the rest of the story. They consorted with prostitutes. Reuben, Reuben, the oldest one, slept with his father's wife. That was his stepmother. Judah had two sons that were so wicked, God himself took their lives. Judah slept with one of his daughter-in-laws and had a child by her. There was 12 sons. There was one daughter, Dinah. And uh, now some people think there were more daughters because in a couple of places the word daughters, plural, is used. But that could mean daughter-in-laws. Only one daughter is, is described for us among the lineage uh, of her birth. And Dinah was raped by a man in Shechem and her brothers, to take revenge, devised a plan to kill the men and they went in and killed all the men in that village. Some of them had nothing to do with that rape, but they killed all the men for revenge and then took the women and children as servants. These were some hard men, sinful men. And we'll see even more about them as the story goes on. Well, let's kind of think of it, the early years. 
of Joseph that we've talked about so far. He suffered, suffered his mother's death. Now, that we, that's not in chapter 37. That's prior to that chapter. She died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And so he suffered his mother's death. And knowing him from the scripture, you can, you will, you know, you get the idea that he loved his mother and father deeply. And, uh, and then he suffered his brother's hate, their envy, their hate, their cruel words to him. He suffered verbally because they were so mean to him. He suffered physically. We'll see that next week. He suffered violently. How did he face all of this? Well, there was a secret that Joseph had. The secret is given to us four times in this story. Joseph's secret, the Lord was with him. It's repeated four times, and it's repeated in such a way that it's meant to explain how Joseph could put up with the hardships and how he could still follow the Lord. This was his secret. Now, it's true, the Lord's with all of us because he knows what you're thinking. He's omnipresent, so he's present with everybody, lost and saved, good and bad, and so forth. But that's not the meaning here. The meaning here is he was with Joseph in a special relationship, a special covenant relationship that he had with the Almighty, like Adam and Abraham, some of those I mentioned earlier. He, the Lord was with him. Now, you and I are going to suffer in this world. Let's think about possibly suffering as compared to Joseph. The loss of a parent. Many of us right here have lost a parent or both our parents. It's always sad and tragic. We lose them by death. But sometimes we lose our parents by divorce. Sometimes by abandonment. They're around, but they're really not around. And, uh, and then we suffer in life. We suffer rejection from parents, from, from siblings, from a husband, from a wife, and so forth. These are some sufferings that all of mankind go through, that you and I go through. Lied about. As Joseph was. Then there's verbal abuse. And then there's sexual abuse. By the way, I don't have time to say beyond this, but the statistic in America is one in three female children will be abused sexually by the time they're 18. One in three. With male children, it's one in six. That is a horrendous wickedness that goes on in the darkness in our country. I'll say more about that at a later date. And then physically, it's tragic what people go through. Now, 
The, the Lord was with him. That was his secret. Let's think about the Lord being with him and with us. What does it mean? You, it means we have a special relationship with him. And here's some things that will help foster that special relationship like, like Joseph had. One is acknowledge him and his presence. Know that he's with you when you're going to work and when you're... When you're at a place by yourself and you're tempted, when uh, whatever's going on, a hardship, tears come to your eyes, he's right there with you. Acknowledge it. Make that a habit of your life, acknowledging that he is with you. For, of course, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. If you received him in your heart, he's there with you. Acknowledge that. But not only that, trust him in his presence. He's with you for the purpose of imparting his strength to you. As Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Amplified says, I can do all things through Christ who infuses me with his own strength. <laughs> well, I need a bunch of that, don't you? So trust his presence. Trust him in his presence. And then the last one there, enjoy him in his presence. David said, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand is peace evermore. Peace and joy come from the presence of Christ. Learn to enjoy his presence. Talk to him through the day. Commune with him and, and uh, become more and more intimate with him. And enjoy him. Bask in his love and bask in his presence. That's the kind of person Joseph was. I believe. Not from what we read here necessarily, but from the whole story of Joseph. John Hughes tells a story about a young man. And uh, you'll have to forgive me, my mind's working slow today. I can't remember. Augie, a young man by the name of Augie. He lived in Europe, and when he was at the age to go off to college, he went to another really big city in Europe. And he lived with a rich, a rich uncle who was extremely wealthy. And uh, this, and this uncle supplied all of his needs and everything. Also, living in the house, there was a lot of family living in this huge house, and. One person living in that house was his cousin, Marcus. And so, Augie was from a Christian home where they loved Christ. And he was now in this big city for the first time from the little small village he was from. And now, Marcus wanted to show him around. And so, he took him out and apparently they had almost an unlimited uh, credit, you know. So they went to big fancy restaurants and nice places and then Marcus took him to, uh, you know, the underbelly of the huge city and they went to uh, clubs where you drink and where there is nudity and dancing and things like that. And they drank, became intoxicated. Augie had never done anything like that before. And then 
Finally, Marcus took him to a house of prostitution. And, uh, and Augie balked and said, said you, go, you go in places like this? And Marcus said, oh, yeah, all the time. All the time. Everybody's doing it. Can't you just hear people saying that today? They say it in the schools, in the hallways, in the bathrooms, wherever they're congregating. Everybody's, of course, everybody does it. That's what Marcus said. Augie hesitated. Then he decided he would just go in and look around. That was a great mistake. You don't, re you don't resist temptation after you've already put yourself in the wrong place. You resist it before you get to that place. But he decided he would go in, and he went in. And Marcus persuaded him to partake of what was offered in that place. He said, as he realized what he was about to do, he saw the face of his father who loved the Lord Jesus and loved the Bible. He saw the, in his mind, he saw the face of his mother weeping and shedding tears he knew she would be heartbroken if she knew what he was doing but he did it anyway that story goes on every day in America in one way or another but the story I just told you took place in 369 A.D. Just 300 years after the time of Christ. You see, the world hadn't changed all that much. Sin hadn't changed all that much. Augie would tell that he regretted that for the rest of his life. He wished he had been like Joseph, who had resisted his brothers, who tried to talk him into it. Come on, come on, don't be a sissy. Come on. Don't be a mama's boy. Come on. But Joseph resisted. Augie said for the rest of his life he wished he had resisted that. Augie made things right with the Lord and repented and received forgiveness. Later he became a great church leader in that third century. We call him now, in history, we call him Augustine, St. Augustine. But he regretted that mistake. I, I wonder now, just posing this, I wonder if it had, would have helped. He saw the face of his father. He saw the face of his mother weeping. I wonder if he had saw in his mind the face of Christ himself weeping over that sin if it would have made a difference. If he had been walking in this fellowship, communion, trusting the Lord for strength in his presence, that would have made the difference. Would you bow with me, please? Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but I'm going through a hard time myself. Maybe with difficulties beyond your control or maybe it's difficulties you've created yourself but you say pray for me pastor I, 
I'm going through a really hard time myself. Would you slip your hand up for prayer if that's your request today? Yes. Many hands. I see your hands. God bless you. You may put them down. Yes, God bless you. The Lord knows, doesn't he? And he loves you with an everlasting love. According to our Bible school wording, he loves you with a monumental love. And that is so true. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand right now and let me pray for you? No one will embarrass you or come to you. Would you slip your hand up by that? You're saying, preacher, pray for me. I've never trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Anyone? Raise it up. Hold it up long enough for me to see it. Anyone? Father, thank you that you chose to use all of those chapters in Genesis to tell the story of Joseph. Help us today and in the weeks to come, help us to glean from those pages all the things you want to teach us that like you molded Joseph, you will mold us in your mighty hand, I pray. You've seen the hands of those who are facing difficulties even now. Maybe some facing temptations. Maybe some facing hardships beyond their control. Help them to trust you, acknowledge your presence, and to trust you in your presence, and even to enjoy you and your presence in this difficult time. Grant it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. The words are on the screen. We're going to sing together, and as we do, 